Did you know that at one time the feds were all over Nike? Welcome back, mere mortalites out there. We're back with another Mere Mortals book review where we transcend mere mortality through the review of books. And today I have a phenomenal book, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Uh, who is Phil and who is Nike? We'll hope that you know the latter. Obviously, Nike is the global uh, conglomerate creator of shoes, shirts, all the good stuff. But Phil Knight might be a name that you're not familiar with. So Phil is actually the, and some attribute him to be the creator, but he's actually the, the co-creator, the co-owner of Nike. And of course, it's all in this book. Shoe Dog is the biography, if you will, of Nike, the, the rise of Nike, which actually first began as uh, Blue Ribbon, Blue Ribbon Sports. So it goes through and talks about the process of how Nike came to be. But let's talk about the book itself before I get ahead of myself and my thoughts with this book, because as you can tell, uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a very, very good book, but let's talk about it first of all. Now, lengthy book, it's quite, quite long uh, for me personally. It took a little while, over a month, but it was packed with good info. And what I'm going to begin first around this book is it was actually written by Phil himself. It was a, I'm not going to call it a biography. Uh, of Phil, but it is a, a description from the owner himself of the process of Nike growing up. Uh, and this actually, it, the book actually looks, goes towards the, from the beginnings of the actual first time when Blue Ribbon came about. So, and even before that, before when actually Phil had the idea and he talked around it with his dad, this crazy idea that he wanted to travel the world and, you know, potentially go down that path of, of, of taking Nike, although at the time he didn't know it was Nike, but he, he knew he had an idea. He wanted a big, crazy, bold idea that he wanted to follow. Um, and it tracks the, the, the growth of Blue Ribbon uh, all the way through to, you know, the naming change of uh, Nike and there's a a myriad of reasons as to why that came about, uh, all the way to the actual IPO of Nike. So it doesn't go beyond that. It doesn't talk about you know how Nike then grew from that point onwards. Uh, so it's around that 80s period where it sort of stops, but it gives you those first initial beginnings, that insight into how it came about to be that Phil Knight began with this idea of you know this sort of shoe, traveled around the world and became a multi-billion dollar company. And he himself is worth somewhere north of 20, 30 billion dollars, something like that. Now, the book itself, it's stepped through uh, year by year. So it'll go from 1972, 73, 74, and it'll describe very, very keenly and detailed uh, some of the key things that happened throughout that time, whether it was the first employee that was hired, venturing overseas to Japan for the first time to uh, talk all good things with uh, shoe manufacturers to bring them back over. Uh, it also de delves in deep into you know, the time when the feds were actually after Nike. Uh, this was for a massive bill that they were being footed. Basically, the competitors were just chasing them down, trying to get them to pay this humongous bill so they wouldn't catch up to them as well. Uh, you know, Phil is very, very see-through in this book as well around the challenges, right? The challenges that he was countering. And because it's written by him, right, he's able to put this real good backdrop of this is how it really felt for me. You know? and, and he explains almost some of the day in the life of Phil Knight back in the, the 70s. Uh, and it seemed brutal, right? It seemed very, very brutal in the amount of hours that he was putting in. Right at the beginning as well, Phil was working two jobs. He was still doing his accounting job uh, at the time. And he did that for, I don't know, quite a few years while still multitasking and trying to run 
uh, uh, Blue Ribbon at the time and trying to fight back against, you know, the company that was working with Japan originally actually not coming on board and almost trying to take him over. I think it was the, the Goodyear man that it was going to take him over from another side of the state. Um, but the story flows really smoothly in between the Phil's take on it with the facts that were available and just helps you see really the key, the key moments in the young Nike history. Another thing that the book does really well in is not holding back. And I already mentioned this previously, but let me del- delve a little bit deeper into this. Phil does not stop in suggesting what he thought of other individuals uh, when he came to, say, his dispassion for Adidas. Right at the tail end of the book, he actually talks of one of his employees who he worked with for a long time at, at uh, Nike. He actually ended up moving on to Adidas and it was a, a massive betrayal, right? So he's very upfront, very... Uh, see-through when it comes to the the idea of business, the idea of startup, the idea of entrepreneurship. And look, personally, rolling this into the, my personal observations uh, and some of the themes, first of all, it really gives one insight into what it truly means to create a product when there's uh, some demand, but just the absolute brutalities of real life when it comes to growing something like Nike. Now, there were uh, if I can recall correctly, doubling up basically in revenue year on year. So 400 grand, 800 grand, a million dollars, $2 million, $4 million. And even though, you know, Phil and the group there were doubling up and it seemed, it would have seemed from the outside perspective, like things are going well. They were getting smashed with cash flow, uh, the amount of things that they were running around trying to battle, whether it was uh, lawsuits, whether it was trying to find uh, banking uh money to actually let them flow through because they were just working on a float. Uh, I think it was two, two or three times that uh, he described Phil around how a bank basically just threw all of Nike out going, nope, we're not going to give you any more loans. You know, you've either hit 500 grand, you've hit a million dollars, that's it. You're not getting anything else. So even though they could cover them in the future, at the time then, they couldn't really cover it. It's that cash flow problem. But it gives you an insight of how hard it must have been to actually bring together uh, Nike to what it is today. You know, you see it as this awesome brand, right, with all the apparel and the shoes and everything else. But the the insights that Phil provides of when it began as just a shoe and the reasoning they were putting together uh, and the story of the waffle uh, sole that, that was created and the inventions around that kind of takes you back and go, okay, there's a hell of a lot of work there that I didn't really see uh, when you look at it at the face of it. Another theme uh, of the book as well is Phil himself is a very normal person. I'm going to say normal in the sense of... No, actually, let me take that back. I'm going to say he was not normal because when he ventured into doing Nike, he didn't really do it for the money. Again, mentioning this at the beginning, he was in it because it was the big idea. It was a big, crazy, wild dream that he wanted to undertake and when you all the way, as you journey through him in the story, right, through, through the book, you actually find that when he um, successfully uh, completed the IPO, which they did not want to do, they actually did not want to take Nike through to the IPO process because they wanted to become stay as a private company that wanted to look after, um, you know, obviously have more control over the company rather than it to go public. And after he went public, Phil at that point would have been worth $180 million, roughly around about there. And for him and a lot of the other employees there, it wasn't about the money. It makes it quite clear. And it also mentions, you know, throughout the book, it wasn't ever about the money. And even to this day, it feels very, very philanthropic. So he gives away a lot of money. Now, 
look, to be sure, there's probably some basis in the fact that, you know, he talks about it in the book. He did upgrade his house. He did want to obviously support himself and the two kids that he had at one time. So, you know, there's obviously the, the humanness of probably he did want some, some money to be able to meet his basic needs, but he was never enough to be hoarding the money or to grow Nike to this global scale because you know, he wants some money. No, he was doing it because it was his passion. He loved running himself. He, he was a runner when he was younger. I think he still uh, jogs at least. I was in a couple of interviews uh, recently off field talking about shoes and you can just tell he's very passionate. And even the name Shoe Dog, right? So I didn't know about the name, what the, that even meant, right? But as you sort of reading through, you actually find that he encounters a couple of shoe dogs every now and again. And Shoe Dog is the terminology for someone who knows the shoes inside and out. Now, Probably not a common individual, but you'll you'll see it in examples uh, through the book where you know he'll meet, meet someone who just knows the leather, knows the actual tongue, how to pull it, what the thickness of the rubber should be, everything like that. Um, so there, there's a very true trueness to the love of shoe and the love of doing doing something because you love it and because it's a passion, not for the money. And that also leads me into the other theme that hard work pays off. Hard work pays off, and look. It paid off for Phil. And the, the other thing as well is success was adjacent to the hard work. It wasn't the, the idea that it had to be successful monetary, of course, um, for it to work out in, in, in his best interest. So what I mean by that is, you know, you could really clearly see from this book, and it's something that I've taken out in other places, is that he was putting a hell of hard work and sure, and all of the other employees were putting in like ridiculous work from the amount of traveling they were doing to you know, they're all all basically doing like multiple, multiple roles just to make things work at the very beginning, right? Um, but in it, they were striving to do it so that they could build better shoes for people so that people could run just so they could be interested and have that really happy feeling of, oh, you know, we're making something great that we really had at the beginning, not for the success that they were chasing, which is money and have this other stuff. No, the success was making great product that people want to be using and then spreading it out from there. So my personal observations and takeaways from the book is, one, people will cut you down, folks. People will cut you down. Uh, it's it's, it's a, not a negative sense of thing, but it, it makes me sad that when you put an idea forward where you know, you're passionate about it, you really engage and you want it to make it work, there will be people out there, whether it's from a competitive nature or from a really evil nature, perhaps, that they want to see you fail or they want to make sure that you fail. And I, I mentioned already the the fact that the, the federal government over in the US was actually chasing down Nike at one point. And it, was, it wasn't that the federal government themselves were saying, oh, yes, this is something that we need to impose on Nike. No, it was the other competitors which were trying to put a huge tariff on the actual pro- products that were bring, being brought over from Japan and other places to say, oh, look, this really mingy, detailed law, yeah, look, for, because of that, you should be paying this much more money. Um, and it, for me, it made me think, you know, did that did that hurt Nike or did it hurt, you know, Adidas or Reebok or all, all these other brands more? Because at the end of the day, uh, the more that you put the focus on, say, perhaps yourself and improving yourself and building that ecosystem that you can all work together or build a bigger ecosystem or a group, you know, it, it, it leaves me with a little bit of, of a sour taste in my mouth to have heard you know, still in that sort of global level of, say, shoes and apparel, although not to be unexpected, but to see, you know, people will still cut you out there, cut you down, uh, no matter what sort of uh, you, you pursue as well. 
And the other personal observation I took out is that the art of competing is the art of forgetting. So this is a little quote from the book as well. The art of competing is the art of forgetting. And what did that mean? What did it struck out to me so much? Um, it was, I believe it was said uh, during one of the races. Um, and Phil describes quite a few races, of course. It's shoes, shoes go with runners. He was a runner. There's going to be a lot of stuff about running in this. But in one of those particular races, this quote came out and it was so clear to see between the line of whether it's sports and it's business or anything else. When you're competing, the art of competing is the art of forgetting about everything else. So it's the it's the idea and the focus that when you're actually doing something now, whether it's Phil actually building up Nike, whether it's somebody else just doing a race, whether it's you, me immortal mortalites, you know, going down the path of doing a job or helping out somebody else, it's when you're competitive, right? If you're a competitive person and you, and you get this idea, because I certainly am, you get it. Uh, if you're not, let's just talk about it as a maybe a sport or, or a run or something competitive, right? The art of it that's going to go really well for you is when you also nail down the art of forgetting, forgetting about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's happened yesterday, what issues happening with your opponent, you know, three feet in front of you, perhaps not if it's a a group, uh, a group item or an actual team or something like that, but let's keep on going with that idea. Um, It's the art of forgetting and focusing in on yourself, the things you can control. It's probably a better way to say it. Things you can control and forgetting about the things that you can't control or the things that are not needed at that point in time. For me, uh, that sort of rung through in this book, in Shoe Dog. In summary, for me, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, eight and a half out of 10. I really enjoyed reading this book. The way that Phil puts together the story, you can tell that he learned how to write a book uh, the ability for him to make everything just seem so real, so exciting as well. It, it was one of those patients where I would find myself, you know, late at night, oh, should I read another chapter? Should I read another book? Even in the mornings, you know, I normally set myself half an hour before I go to the gym. Oh, I can push it. I can read a little bit more. So it was, no, look, phenomenal. I couldn't recommend it more, especially if you want to know and get to know how hard it can be to build a company in its very, very humble beginnings because we often see only the the final end of success and we never see the amount of work that actually goes through to putting together a company such as Nike. So, me Immortalites, thank you so much for joining me in this book review of Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. What did you think of it? Have you read the book? If you haven't, uh, I'll be leaving uh, a bit of a link down below so you can go and check it out, whether you're listening to it on the audio, whether you're listening to it on the video and you're checking out me holding out the book. That is all for now. Me Immortalites, one out.